We are finishing our sermon series on recharge. Uh, we've started several weeks ago. We've been talking about getting back to full when life leaves you feeling drained. And uh, really, we've said all along, it's all about being there for the people and things that we care about most. But it's hard to be there for them when we are drained, right? So we got to be recharged to do what we're called to do. And we've tried to lay a very clear groundwork. I hope it's been a practical series, uh, trying to give you some suggestions every single week of things you can go home and put into practice in your life to help recharge. We talked about being recharged physically so that we're running optimally and we're able to be there at our best now and someday for others we care about. Uh, mentally, you know, dealing with overload, um, spiritually recharging, connecting back to the power source, um, emotionally recharging, relationally, how relationships are important to fuel us both ways. We've tried to talk about all these things for the past many weeks and give you a lot of practical take-homes on how you can best recharge. Now, today we're kind of done with all that. It won't be so practical today. Instead, we're going to take the rest of our time and, and tell a Bible story in a moment here. I wanted you to remember something that we said week one, that all these areas of life intertwine. So perhaps along the way, one of these topics was more pertinent to where you are today than another one. But don't make the mistake of saying, well, you know, it's important to mentally recharge but not physically or to relationally but not emotionally. They're all important. And when you're drained in one of those areas, You'll know how important it is. But I said in week one, they all intertwine anyhow. If you're, if you're you know, emotionally drained, it's going to affect your physical well-being and vice versa. Your mental well-being, if you're physically drained. If your relations are rough, it's going to hurt your emotional life. If you're spiritually suffering, it's going to affect your mental uh, and, and, and emotional life. All these things tie together. You can't separate them. In fact, we're, there was a verse that we never used in the series one time, but it, it kind of says the same thing. It's from Proverbs. It's an ancient proverb. And it says, a merry heart, a merry heart is good for you like medicine. Or laughter is good like medicine. Because our emotional well-being affects our physical well-being. And you just can't separate these ideas. They all blend together. And so we want to recharge in all the ways we've talked about the last five weeks and hopefully gave you some practical handles on ways you can work at doing that to keep yourself recharged so you don't get drained or burned out. Now, I'm going to tell you a Bible story today, so it won't be very practical. Okay, this is not a practical Sunday at all. It's a Bible story Sunday, which is good for me because it's been a crazy week and I can share a story with you. And I hope that you'll listen. Um, it's, a, it's a very... Uh, when I say the name, if you know your Bible, if you know your ancient Israel and your Old Testament, you'll know the name, pretty epic character. And I'm going to tell a story about him. His name was Elijah, Elijah the prophet. And Elijah came to Israel in a time when the nation was in pretty bad shape spiritually. Here's the background. Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. They had a big civil war. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom divided and once they did that, the northern kingdom never even had one, they didn't have one good king after that, not one good moral king after that point. It was just all downhill, and, it, and they led the nation just downhill spiritually. The southern kingdom had some good kings. It was kind of a mixed bag, good one, bad one, good one, bad one, you know. They had their own journey. But the northern kingdom, it had nothing but bad leadership and a bad journey, and they just went far down the wrong path. And eventually it got really bad because uh, a man named Omri became a ruler. He was a, another wicked king. He, his son succeeded him. His son's name was Ahab. 
And Ahab was not only a, a messed up guy, but Ahab married a woman from another kingdom. She was a king's daughter. Her name was Jezebel. That might sound familiar. Ahab married Jezebel, and she came back to Samaria and ruled the northern kingdom of Israel with Ahab. And together, Ahab and Jezebel, they were a, an unholy terror. They were a messed up leadership. For their, it was bad. I mean, they brought Baal worship. Baal was, a, Baal was a certain kind of idolatry. They brought Baal worship into their nation, and it was worse than anything else you've ever seen. Because what happened was with Baal worship that they introduced, you had child sacrifices. You had a lot of really, it wasn't just walking away from God and into idolatry. It was messed up how you treat people, wickedness and depravity. And that's where Israel had found itself. And so during that time, God raised up some prophets to try to warn and bring the nation back to him. And one of them was Elijah. And Elijah was a very bold man, if you know any of the stories about him. He comes on the scene basically telling the people, he loved his country, he loved the Lord, said, God's going to send a long uh, drought, three years, and a famine that will come from the drought. And it's going to get rough for a while. And I don't think anyone paid attention when he said that. But then the months began to tick by in the years. And at some point, everyone's like, oh, wow, uh, was that Elijah guy? And Elijah was gone. God just, he, he just left. He was in other countries doing miracles for other people. But, but everyone knew his name because he had kind of said that the Lord was going to do this. And it happened. And so as the nation's going through a tough time with their economy, so to speak, they're just down in, the, in a very bad place. Everyone's looking for Elijah. The king's looking for Elijah. He's blaming him for the prophecy he made about what God was doing in that time that was difficult. He's gone. They can't find him. At the end of those three years, Elijah pops back in and uh, confronts the king and says, tell all the prophets of your Baal worship, and that messed up junk that you've brought into this country, tell them to meet me on top of the mountain near Samaria. I'll go up there with them. Tell all the people we're going, you come up there, king, and we're just going to have a good old-fashioned showdown and find out who's real. So the king gets these, like, 150 prophets of Baal, says, get up at the mountain, and, and, and we're going to confront this Elijah guy because we need to, something's got to change. Either we've got to get him to reverse this curse that they assumed was from him, though it wasn't, or whatever. we just got to figure this out. And as he's spreading the word, the other word is spreading to all the people. And the people were all intrigued because this was, they didn't have cable TV. They had uh, ancient times and a drought and a famine. And there's this Elijah guy. This was big news. So they all, the crowds went up the mountain as well to gather around and watch this man named Elijah and these prophets of Baal. And as they got up there, the people, it was like bigger than the Super Bowl. It was huge. And Elijah says, I'll tell you what, guys, let's find out whose God is real. Let's both build altars. You build an altar and offer a sacrifice to Baal. I'll do the same thing, animal sacrifice to God. And we'll pray down fire from heaven and see who's got answers. Crazy story. The other guy's got the head start. He gave them all, they, had, they had a team of them. There was a bunch of them. Elijah was himself and his assistant was over there. That was it. And um, these guys are praying. They're going crazy. He's mocking them before the day's over. They're cutting themselves and going like, like nuts. Nothing happens. Finally, Elijah takes his turn at a disadvantage later on and says, Lord, would you do this? Send down a fire from heaven. And God did it miraculously. Sends down a fire, consumes the sacrifice. It's a great story. I'm not trying to tell that story today. I'm telling it too much already because I got another story. Um, but, but he sends this, it, this is a moment where all the people up on the mountain are like, whoa. And they actually cry out. They say, the Lord, he is God. 
the Lord, he is God. And they're, they're just excited. And um, at that time, you know, Eli, uh, Elijah is like, this is, we won. They actually took the prophets. This is going to sound so barbaric, but this is the way the world was. This is just the way the world was then. I mean, this is, this is the whole story of that time period in that part of the world. But the people took the prophets of Baal down from the mountain, down to where the river used to run through. That was just a little drying up creek at this point. And they took them all down the mountain, these, these prophets of Baal that had led them down this bad path. And the people killed all 150 of them right there. And Elijah's on top of the mountain with the king. And he's like, uh, king, you might want to go back to the city because it's about to rain finally. How do you know? Go to the city. And Elijah gets over there and starts praying and and. and there comes the storm, and it changes. Everything's set back to normal. Elijah actually is so excited that he runs down the mountain afterwards on foot and actually outruns the king in his entourage going to the city. And it feels like vindication. And if you know the story of Elijah, you know he's the story of a man who, he was a mighty man. I mean, he, the kind that legends are made of, you know, superhero kind of guy without being superhero. Just a, but just an awesome leader and an awesome prophet. And just who is this guy? Bold. And saw God do miracles through him. He was just a really awesome guy. And Elijah, in all this story, he has been spending years serving the Lord, public enemy number one, waiting for a spot to where God would show himself strong and hopefully sponge out this this horrible pagan practice out of their land that was causing so much horrible behavior towards each other away from God. And, And here it happened. They had the showdown. They won. Uh, the, the prophets of Baal were defeated. He's on top. The king saw it. The people said, the Lord, he is God. The storm is coming. The rain's back. It's all wonderful. And he runs down into the city, excited for God using him mightily. He had a mountaintop experience with great victory. But that's not the story for today. That's the backstory. Now, that's the story that most people would say is most famous about Elijah. That's the famous story. If you know a story about Elijah, you probably know that one. But that's not my favorite story. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of what happens next. Because what happens next, well, that's pretty informative. At least it is to me. It's pretty instructive. Let's pick up the story in the next chapter, 1 Kings 19, beginning with verse 1. It says, when Ahab, the king, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal, And so again, this is a moment where you're waiting for someone to step in and say, hey, you know, we were wrong. Maybe Jezebel and Ahab would say, wow, I guess God was was true. And maybe they would at least humble themselves and say we were wrong, maybe even repent and turn to God. The people were yelling it. So here's the moment where it's it's supposed to, that revival's gonna sweep through the city. Ahab's telling the queen. But what's the reaction in verse two? So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Which is not exactly, whatever. But here's the thing. She's, her reaction is double down. I'm going to have this guy killed for that. Okay? So what does Elijah do? Elijah's going to say, <laughs> You just see what God just did? I just faced down 150 prophets of Baal. I just faced down uh, your husband up on top of the mountain. All the people were there. I was public enemy number one. I've been working for three years, girl. Do you think I'm worried about your threats? Right? 
But what's interesting is what happens in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. It's such a bizarre thing. If you didn't know the story from just hearing it when you were younger, I guess, it's, it doesn't seem like Elijah. This is not the same guy that legends are made out of. Like, all the things that he had accomplished, and now he's afraid of, who is Jezebel? Who is she, Thanos? I mean, I don't know why is he so scared of her, you know? I mean, all of a sudden, he's all nervous about everything, you know? I mean, he's going to run now. He's, he's faced harder tests than that, hasn't he? It doesn't even make sense to me. After all that he just witnessed on that mountaintop experience, that he would sit there and say, oh no, and run. And I'm going to get into this a little bit, but what I want you to understand is, is Elijah's, Elijah's drained. Look, I wouldn't have understood this when I was younger. I understand it more now. Sometimes it's after your biggest mountaintop experiences that you find the most drain and the most depletion. Some of you can tell the story as well as, as well as I can. Things are great and you have some great moments and then all of a sudden, whew, and Elijah is spent. He's done. And he didn't see the reaction to all the good he did. He didn't see the reaction the way he thought he should. You know, the payoff's supposed to be everyone was grateful to him they turned back to God. Even if he was being modest, they turned back to God and God used him. Maybe even they, if he cared a little bit, maybe even they thanked him for his role. Instead, let's hunt him down. It's like it's never going to end. The work never ends. The problems never go away. The enemies never stop. The struggles never cease. And he had just had all this stuff happen and now he's just done. And when he hears this new threat after all he faced, his emotions were so drained, his body was so drained that fear set in. We talked about fear a few weeks ago. Fear, anxiety, worry, fear set in. He runs for his life. He comes to Beersheba, a town in Judah. He leaves his servant there. Remember we talked about how important relationships are to recharging us? He had this servant all this time that was with him through all of it. He just says, you stay here. And he, and he left him alone. Elijah's not in a healthy spot. And I love the story because... Well, let's get into it here. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. So he's isolating himself, isn't he? He's isolating himself. He's traveling all day long, not resting. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed. Listen, prayed that he might die. This is his prayer. He's not suicidal, but he's at least saying, God, if you'll do it, I'd be grateful. Please do it. He's praying that he might die. He said, I have had enough. You ever, you ever say those words to anybody? You ever say those words to God? I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Just, I'm done. I've had enough. I'm ready to die. Take me now, Lord. It's over. You're like, Elijah, just, you just were on the mountaintop, whooping up on Baal worship. Fire from heaven, storm coming in after a prayer meeting. What, is, what in the world? He's, he's done. He is burned out. He is drained beyond anything. Fear and struggle had won the day. Listen, the reason I love this story is because I relate better to this Elijah than the last one. Now, I'd love to say, I love to say God has used me and can use me to do great things. I've never been on top of a mountaintop facing down that many enemies and who wanted to take my life. I mean, let's be honest. That's, those stories are great to read and we like to picture ourselves in them. But it's almost like 
untouchable. But I relate to this guy. Someone once said that, that when it comes to helping people in life, trying to you know, help them, whether you're a leader, whether you're a, a, you know, a parent, mom, dad, te- a teacher, a coach, whatever you're trying to do in life, people might, people might respect your strengths. People do respect your strengths, but they resonate with your weaknesses, right? And we respect Elijah's strengths, but I resonate with his weaknesses. And here he is, and he's done. He's uh, ran, he's in fear, he's isolated himself, and he's just saying, God, take me out, and it's enough. Just let me die. And here's a thought for us to consider today, before I finish the story, before we get into the meat of the story. We love those mountain, we love those mountaintop moments, don't we? Like Elijah had, victory. But listen, mountain moments like that Mountain moments don't prevent us from draining or burning out. You think that they're going to just get me charged up up here on top of the mountain, seeing victory, seeing things go well. But mountaintop moments don't prevent us from draining or burning out. In fact, mountain moments can actually be the catalyst for burnout if we don't handle them correctly. This is what I've experienced in life. Some of the biggest things we've ever done, big highlight, things you're working towards, this big moment, and you just put all you have into it, and, it go, and you pull it off, and maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't go well, but you've, you're just, you've, you've had this moment of adrenaline, you've worked towards it, and then afterwards it's like, it could be a, an event, it could be a season of life, you get through it, and then all of a sudden it's dangerous. We're drained. If we're not careful, we've not been able to recharge along the way, or we didn't. And we're susceptible in moments like that to burnout. That's why we've talked so much in the last several weeks about practical ways to keep recharging as you go. These are dangerous moments for all of us, and perhaps you've experienced that yourself. What happens to Elijah next? Verse 5. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Lay down and slept. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. That's, that's good stuff, right? That's good advice right there, right? By the way, notice the physical recharging. What do you need sometimes to physically recharge? Rest, right? We said, what, food? Get up and eat. And look what, he, look what happens. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and laid down again. So, so the angel's like, I brought you food. He brought him some Chick-fil-A. So he's he right there with him. It's right there. He looks inside. There's a, there's a, a bread. It's a, it's a biscuit with a big old uh, chicken patty in the middle and some honey, Chick-fil-A sauce and some waffle fries. It's awesome. And um, he's sitting there and um, I'm so happy because it was close on Sunday too. So he's, he's got his food. And uh, as, he, as he's sitting there resting, God brings some food. Just eat up. So he eats it, drinks the water. And then he, he lays down again. You see it? He lays down again. In other words, he'd been sleeping. God comes along and says, you know what you need? You need some food. You know what you need? You need something to drink. You know what you need? You need to sleep some more. He lays back down. Verse 7. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. Those are my favorite words in the Bible right there. That's my life's verse right there. Eat some more. Amen. I got it. Just, um, eat some more. Why? Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. 
So he's rusted, ate, rusted some more, ate some more, got up. Verse 8, he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. I can go a long time about Mount Sinai. That's where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. There's a lot to talk about here. We're not going to get into all of that. This is a very spiritual and important place in, in past history of Israel and future with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, but we, we won't get into it all. This is, um, this is a moment where God takes him to a spiritual spot to have a connection moment with him. He feeds them, gives them something to eat, to drink, some sleep. He even takes a walk. See, it's all of it right there. But anyhow, he goes to the mountain. And when, when he gets there, Verse number nine, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So God kind of visits him. He's in the cave. He hears God's voice. What are you doing here, Elijah? Is that a question you've ever asked yourself or felt like someone else was asking you? Maybe God was asking you or perhaps you're asking yourself. You get to a spot in life where you were just so buried and lost, that one day you, you open your eyes and say, what am I doing here? That's where Elijah's at. Elijah answers, and he's not healthy right now. You can see that in the story. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. This is what happens to us when we, when we get to the spot of, of burnout, is we can forget all that God has done for us or through us and just think about all that we've done. Like, you know, God did all those things. But he's not thinking, God, you've been so amazing in my life. He's thinking, I have done all this work. It's so easy. It's so easy for us. I've done all this stuff. I put all my heart into it. I have, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel, this people, all the people around me, driving me crazy. The people of Israel, they've broken your, their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. That's what, that's what exhaustion and burnout will do to us. It will convince us that we're the only ones. We're all alone. I'm the only one left. The only good guy left, the only person left. I'm, I'm, I'm alone. Well, of course you're. You left your servant behind, you know. But it's just, even with him, I just, it's just me. I'm alone, and no one else even believes what I believe, stands for what I stand for. No one's even trying. I'm the only one trying. They want to kill me too. He's just really in a rough spot right now. What's God going to do? Well, he's fed him. He's, he's given him some rest. He's physically tried to recharge him. The Lord says in verse number 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain. In other words, Elijah wants you to leave the cave and go out onto the mountain in, in that, in, with a view. Just be, get out of the cave and stand before me. I'm going to meet you out there. Now, I didn't catch this when I was a younger man. But recently... I was reading the story for the umpteenth time because I love the story. I noticed that, and we'll notice it more in a couple of verses from now, Elijah doesn't go out of the cave right away. God says, go out, stand out, outside there before me, outside down the mountain. As Elijah stood there, that's what's happening, there in the cave where God had just told him, go out and stand before me in the mountain. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And, and here's how he, you, you see this, this, this powerful form happening outside of the cave. A mighty windstorm hits the mountains. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. It's like, wow, the power of God, right? But it says, but the Lord was not in the wind. 
He sent it, but he wasn't in it. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And this is a powerful moment for Elijah. This is where he's going to step outside. This is where he's going to find the Lord. Elijah did not need to see the Lord in a mighty, strong wind. He just saw one blow a storm in that he prayed for just a little earlier back in the day. He didn't need to see fire. He just prayed on fire from heaven. Sometimes we all want to see God show up in some big, spectacular, God show up in some big, spectacular way, move in some mighty ways. And Elijah was like, yeah, I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, I'm over it. He was just burnt out. Fire, rain, wind, there's like a music group there. All outside, he's not budging. Elijah just stands in that cave, didn't see the Lord in any of those powerful expressions, but then he heard the gentle whisper. And this is what I want to say to you today. I know for some of us, if we're struggling, if you ever struggle before, or if you struggle someday or are struggling right now, sometimes we want to ask God for the, for the whirlwind or the fire. We want him to do something huge. But it just might be that the thing we need to lean into and listen for is not the roar, but the gentle whisper, the still small voice. Because you say, but where's, the, where's the dynamite in all that? Sometimes that's not what we need to hear from God. The gentle whisper is so powerful. Why would God whisper? It's very simple. God whispers because he's close. Right? That's how you whisper. All the rip and the roar and all the activity that he'd ever been a part of, but in that moment, he needed to know that God was close. And God whispers because he's, he's close. He whispers, and I hope that some of us can just learn to listen and look past the spectacular and listen for the gentle whisper of our God. And Elijah, it says in the next verse, when he heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and now he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And I think God was doing a couple things in Elijah there. He was showing him here, hey, Elijah, you've been doing the spectacular. You need to hear me whisper. I'm right here. I think something else is happening. I think he's showing Elijah, did you really want to die? You know, go meet me outside, earthquake. I'm going to stay. Strong wind, rocks falling. I'm okay. Fire. Here I am. And I think he's asking Elijah the question again. Because, because maybe earlier, Elijah's just talking crazy. All these things. And God's like, look. Power, power, power. Now listen to me. Speak softly to you. What are you doing here? Asking the same question again. Are you ready to answer me? And perhaps this time, Elijah answers the same question the same way, but perhaps in a different tone. Verse 14, it says, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. I've been serving you, God. I've been going to, I've been giving my life to doing the right thing, to helping people, to make a difference. But the people have been difficult. They've, they've broken down their covenant with you. They've, they've torn down your altars. They've, they've killed all your prophets. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. And it's like God's like, okay, good. Now we can talk. 
Elijah's wrong. He wasn't the only one left. It's interesting what God does next. Because some of us might think that the next thing to do is to do what we do or some of our friends do to us when we misspeak. You know, you know those people in your life who are always correct you right away? They're the actually people. Actually, you know, God could have done that to Elijah right then. But he doesn't. The very first thing he says to Elijah after all of that, verse 15, the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. Now that's a whole story. It's an interesting story in itself that happens later. We're not going to talk about it today. Guys, go do that. Then he says, then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. That's also a very interesting story. That is quite long and a very good adventure. We're not going to discuss that today. But he says, I want you to go do this thing for this person. Go over here and do this thing for that kingdom. And then he says, I want you to go anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat from the town of Abel, Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. In other words, bring him on and be a mentor to him and coach him up and get him ready to one day take your spot. Bring him into your life. What's interesting is there's a lot that's interesting right there to me in that verse. A lot. For, for, for one, and I'll point this thing out real quick here, God didn't give Elijah a stern lecture, nor at that point did he give him, he already gave him some rest. He said, rest, you need, you need to sleep. <laughs> Get some sleep. Get some food in you. You, you. you need to eat something. You need to leave some more. You need to eat some more. So you just got to go through a season of recovery. He says, you need this. Now, he gets to the point, says, Elijah, you're still down. Your mindset's still messed up. Your mindset's still whack. You know what you need to do, Elijah? You need to do something. I'm going to give you a task. I'm going to send you out of here to go take care of a job. Now, it wasn't the same job that Elijah had done before. He didn't say, go back and declare another drought, be people in the mountain, pray down fire from heaven. Didn't say any of that. He simply says, tell Elijah, Elijah, I want you to go out and do a different task, a different kind of job. But what he was saying is that what you need in this moment is to stay busy. And I know how counterintuitive that is. When we get burned out and low, our impulse is to stay there and there's a time when we need to sit back and just rest. But sometimes we don't want to come out of that season. We just want to be done. And we get bad mindset. We let stink and think and take hold and just bury us and we're just done. And after a little bit of rest and after a time of recovery, God's like, you know what you need to do now, Elijah? You're still not seeing it clearly. You're still not seeing it right. But you just need to get busy doing something. That's the next best step for you. Boy, I'll tell you, one of the best things we can learn to do at some point is to say, is it time for me to step back in and do something? Maybe, not this, maybe something different, maybe something creative. But I need to find a way to, to do something here because this is not healthy. And one of the people he said to anoint was Elisha, a, a, a person he could mentor, to walk with him, to, to, to bring him, and to bring him joy. Remember what, we talked about relationships a couple weeks ago and how you should have a coach and you should also be one and all the things, we, two are better than one. God says you cut yourself off. I'm putting someone in your life that you need right now relationally. You get Elisha and you do it together. Now, he goes on to say, verse 17, anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha as a whole conversation in itself. Basically, he's saying, I'm gonna purge this Baal worship and the, the horrible things that it brought with it. I'm gonna purge it out of this country and it's gonna get rough before it gets better. But 
He makes a statement in verse 18 that's so good. He says, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. In other words, God is saying to Elijah, at the very end of their talk, he says, Elijah, there are 7,000 others. I'm taking care of you. I'm preserving them also. They've never. See, here's Elijah. I'm the only one. There's nobody else but me. I'm the only one that's not done the wrong thing and sold out. God's like, that's just like 7,000 of you. Plus, Elisha, you're going to go find Elisha here. Listen, you're not alone. But he didn't come at him right. He didn't actually. He said, okay, Elijah, let me feed you. Let me rest you up. Let me give you something to do. Oh, by the way, in passing, let me say this before I'm done. You're not alone. You think you are because your mind's so jaded. Your mind's so just wiped out. You're not thinking honestly. You're not alone. You just think you're alone. You feel alone. There's actually thousands of people out there, and I need to put that in there. I'm going to come at that last, but I'm going to put that in there. That's pretty much the end of our story today. We're going to look at a quick verse, but that's it. I mean, if you read the chapters that follow, Elijah goes out and does all the things that he was told to do. He has a couple of cool adventures. He has a great end to his game in the next uh, in Second Kings. It's all interesting. But this story was just about getting a man back on his feet who had done great things but wiped out. By the way, what's interesting to me is that he got told him to talk to three people. First, he says Haziel for the kingdom of Aram, Jehu, and then the third one was Elisha, your assistant. Guess which one Elijah does first? Yeah, verse 19 tells us, so Elijah left there. He went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. He's like, I need this guy right now. He got that piece in his life immediately. And there's a story there as well that we won't look at today. But that's the story. Here's what I want us to understand as we read the story. So many important things. Were you with us a few weeks ago when we talked about, we looked at a verse. We looked at a verse from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was written that same century. That same century Later on, Isaiah wrote some words that we read that said that even young men will grow weary, even strong people will faint. If you remember that, that's what the story's about today. The mighty Elijah, the guy that I can only imagine aspiring to or attaining to, the kind of man he was, Elijah has grown weary and was faint. He was drained. He was burnt out. Even the best of us. If you ever get discouraged and say, what's wrong with me? I'm just a mess up. I'm a screw up. I just can't, I can't believe I'm so fragile. Forgive me, I'm such a mess. Maybe, you are, maybe, you're, maybe you're in a season where you let some things take root and maybe you're just buried. Or maybe you've not found your way out yet because, and you need to. But it doesn't mean you're, you're weak. It doesn't mean you're fragile. It means that the strongest of us, if, if Elijah, if others can go through it, so can you. It doesn't matter who you are. Don't let the devil lie to you and make you feel worthless because you feel well, worthless. You just might need a recharge. And maybe if you didn't recharge along the way, maybe you've even burned out, but there's a recovery. It happens to all of us. It can happen to us at any time. And if you've been through it, you know, and if you're going to go through it someday, remember this, and if you're in it now, have hope. There's a path forward. There's a path forward for Elijah. I love the story. I respect his strength. I resonate with his weakness. I can, I can relate to that guy. We see all the factors that went into recharging Elijah. Physically, he got food and rest. Exercise, I guess. 
Spiritually, he had an encounter with God. Mentally, he was led to see the truth instead of the negative mindset that had sunken him into his depression. Relationally, he found a companion. All of those things strengthened him emotionally and set him back on his course once again. It wasn't the exact same course and the exact same job, but it was the path forward for him for the next chapter of his life. You and I are much the same. We will have seasons of our lives where we feel victorious and perhaps even invincible. I have, and you probably have too. In fact, when you're young and the world is bright and you're idealistic and optimistic, sometimes you can all think it's all about the victory. You feel unstoppable. It's all about the mountaintop experience. You want God in the fire and the earthquake and the wind because you are there. And we've had moments like that, and we want moments, and you'll have moments like that in life. But we will also have seasons of struggle and seasons of doubt and seasons of fatigue. And in those spots, I hope that you'll listen because God is close. I hope you'll hear us whisper as he tries to get you back to where you're, you're functioning again. You're, you're you again. And I hope that somewhere in the past five weeks before today, we've given you some practical suggestions on all of these areas, practical ideas that you can take with you and say, I can put that in my life, I can do that in my life, I can put that in my life to help build these areas. Go back and review them if you need to and find those practical things that you can implement to help you recharge. But today I'm not practical. Today I'm simply saying if you find yourself in the same place Elijah found himself, you're in common company. Nothing's wrong with you but you don't want to stay there, and God doesn't want you to stay there. So get the rest. Get some food. Take a break. Find something to do. Get your mindset fixed up. Connect with God. And believe with hope again that he is there, not just on the mountaintop to call on fire from heaven to vindicate you. He's there when you're depleted and hiding out somewhere. He's there as well because he loves you. God knew just what Elijah needed, didn't he? And you can make it through your difficult season as well. You're not alone. You're not alone. I know it's easy to feel alone. Elijah thought he was alone, but God was there. And it's easy for us to feel alone, but you're not alone either. Listen carefully. God knows just what, what you need. By the way, because he's, he's gone through it too. If I can bring this back to the gospel as I wrap this up, this is the whole story of the gospel. I know that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again to pay for our sins and give us eternal life and basically to show us that God's forgiveness bridges all of our sins so we could have heaven someday and relationship with him now. And we know that macro view of the gospel. But what's interesting is that he didn't just come and make a grand entrance and there's the cross, there's the empty tomb. He, he came as a baby. He spent decades walking in our shoes. You read the scriptures, he was tired, he was hungry, he was weary, he slept, he grieved, he lost. I love what the author of Hebrews says about, about the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter four, it says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold, hold firmly, let's hold firmly to what we believe. Why? This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. In other words, we're, we're, we're sinful, we're broken. But the thing about God is we were created in his image, but he also stepped into our shoes and experienced our struggle. 
experienced our difficulty, and he understands what you're going through. He's faced it all. He's a safe place to go. In fact, the next verse tells us that. Verse 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We should come boldly to God because he's not untouchable. We're made in his image. He's walked in our shoes. He understands So if you feel low, if you feel down, if you feel discouraged, if you feel jaded, if you feel ashamed, whatever it could be in life, boldly come to God. Let him speak to you. He might use fire. He might use a strong wind. He might use a gentle whisper. But he wants you to be rekindled, to be recharged, to make it out of that season that you're in. I want you to say a simple prayer of faith going forward. And I've given this to you before, so if you hang around me long enough, you'll hear me do this a few times along the way. It's a simple prayer. It's, it's based upon something I, we read in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, which basically describes what faith looks like. And from that expansive verse, I see a simple declaration of faith that all of us, no matter what we're going through, no matter how low we feel, should hold on to this by faith. Here's a simple prayer that you can pray. God, I know you are there, and I know that you care. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what happened. I don't know how I got here. I don't know what's next. But by faith, I don't know a lot of things, and I'm not sure what that even looks like, and I don't know how how that's going to turn out. But God, I just know you're there. That's That's what I know. That's what faith does. Hebrews 11, 6. I know you're there, and I know that you care. And maybe at some point in your life, yes, the exercise, the rest, the sleep, the mental recharging, the emotional recharging, the relational recharging, the, you know, the spiritual, all the things we've talked about, you need, we need all of them. Put them, in, put them to practice in your life practically. But maybe today for somebody, all you can find the strength to do today is pray a simple prayer between your breaths. A prayer like this. But let me encourage you to take it home with you and say, God, there's a lot here. But God, I know that you're there. And I know that you care. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't understand why. I don't understand some things. I don't get everything. But I know you're there. And I know you care. That same verse in Hebrews tells us that our faith is what pleases God. Don't we all want that from people we live? That when they don't understand what's going on or what we're doing, that they just have a little trust in us? It pleases God when we just choose to trust him during the tough times. God, I know you're there, and I know that you care. That will take us a long ways in life. So what I want you to do is believe that, and not just believe it. If you're going through a tough time, I want you to celebrate it. I want you to say, Lord, I'm I'm not out of the woods by any means, but I'm going to believe and celebrate the fact that even though blah, 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 even though all of that, you are there. And that you care. And that today, if that's all I have, is enough today. And I'm going to believe it. I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to hold on fast to that hope. Because better days will come. And God wants to lead you to them. But we all can experience seasons like this.